Welcome to Walking It Out, living the Bible in everyday real life. Hey there, everybody. It's Pastor Brad Kirby. You know, yesterday morning I preached a sermon on John 15, verses 1 through 17 at church. And sometimes, thankfully not often, I feel like there are times where I go back and listen to the sermon or think through my sermon and wish I had brought a little bit more clarity on a particular passage of scripture. And yesterday was one of those instances where I felt like maybe a little bit more clarity would be helpful, maybe even needed. And so I want to take this time and just do a deep dive into John 15, into that passage, and more so spend our time looking at the heart of what Jesus was trying to get at. You know, leading up to John 15, Jesus had been, yes, teaching his disciples, but more so comforting his disciples anxieties and fears. And the reason why they had anxiety and fear and troubled were because of Jesus's words. In the chapters leading up to John 15, Jesus kept telling them things that caused them uh, to have their hearts stirred up. He mentioned that somebody in the group was going to betray him. He mentioned that another would deny him. He shared that he'd be departing and where he was going, they couldn't come. And so their hearts were like the bottom of a creek bed, stirred up. And so in spite of the fact that he knew what was coming, his death on the cross, he out of his compassion and care, tries to calm the trouble in his disciples' hearts. I love that about Jesus. And so he says these words in in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled, and then gives them the real antidote, the cure for their troubled hearts. He says this, believe in God, believe also in me. I mean, the cure for a troubled heart is trusting in Jesus. The more trust in Jesus, the more faith in Jesus, the less trouble in your heart and the less anxiousness in your heart. I mean, one way to look at it is uh, look at anxiety as a thermometer of our level in trust in God. The more anxiety, the less trust we have in God. Trusting Jesus and what he reminds him over the coming chapters offers so many great reasons that help rid us of anxiety for our troubled hearts. And so he begins to do that. He tells them, look, when you trust in me, let me offer you some some blessing in that. Jesus reminds his disciples that while he's going away, he's not going to forget about them. That because of their faith in him, because of their trust in him, he may be leaving to return to the Father, but they're not forgotten. He is the way. He is going to prepare a way for them on the cross. He's going to break down that dividing wall of hostility by taking their punishment that they deserved on the cross. That he would accomplish for them what what only he could accomplish. That he would defeat death. And in doing so, he would secure his true disciples' place forever with him in eternity. What an incredible blessing. It would make all of that anxiety better for us. What a wonderful way to comfort our hearts in the midst of this troubled world than to remind us that this world is not all there is. That this world is finite, but that we have a heavenly home that awaits us and it's secure because of Jesus' work on the cross. That we will be home with him, with our treasure that is Jesus in heaven forever. He reminds them not only of these promises that come through trusting him, but that also that their work, he's giving them work to do while they stay here on this planet. And that he's going to give them power to accomplish it. And the way that he's going to do that is not only is he not only going to leave them, not leave them here, or forget them, but he's going to give them a paraclete. He's going to give them a helper, a comforter. He's going to give them his very spirit. He promises to send his spirit. And the spirit's going to help navigate the mission that Jesus is calling them to. It will give them power and convict and guide and offer direction. 
He gives them all of these promises that come from trusting in him, and it gets us to chapter 15. And in chapter 15, Jesus' teaching strategy kind of changes. He begins to give them this incredible illustration of who he is and why that matters to them. You know, at the very end of chapter 14, it says that they got up from dinner, and it, it looks like they left the room that they were in. And I would imagine that from that point, they, they may have walked through the city. They may have walked through Jerusalem, may have made their way to the Mount of Olives. Regardless of what you presume they did, clearly, I, I think it would be a good presumption to think that they were beginning to see vineyards and grapes and vines everywhere they looked. I mean, uh, you know, of the vine, grapes are mentioned more than any other plant in the entire Bible. It would have been everywhere. The grapevine was so important culturally and economically in the first century. It was central to everyday life. It would have been seen everywhere. I mean, it was a national symbol for life and a symbol for Israel. You would have made your way to the porch of the holy place of the temple, and you would have seen emblazoned over it this great golden vine that they would have placed over it. People would have seen the vineyard, they would have seen grapes, and they would have thought of God's people, the nation of Israel. And it's here with this visual illustration of vines in front of all of them and these vineyards all around them that Jesus teaches his disciples who he is and the importance and the comfort of abiding in him. I mean, listen to verses 1 through 3 of chapter 15. He says, I am, not just the vine, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Here Jesus tells them who he is, that he's the true vine. I mean, the Hebrew people... All through Scripture in the Old Testament would have been referred to in Scripture as the vineyard. And Jesus is telling them that, look, real life is found in Him. He's the true vine. That real life and being made right with God doesn't come by being found as a citizen of an earthly nation. It's not found in becoming a member of the right people group. It's not found in circumcision or making the sacrifices at the altar. It's not in the law. Life and forgiveness of sins is found in relationship with Jesus. Being made right with God was about being found in the true vine, being found in Jesus, not in Israel. Now, the main point that he's trying to make in chapter 14 is found repeatedly in verses 4 through 11. And as I think back, I think this is the part that I may have not pressed enough yesterday morning. And and I don't want to complicate his point. Listen to this in verses 4 through 11 and just see if you can hear a pattern in Jesus' words. It won't be hard. He says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it, what? Abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be full. It, you know, it doesn't take a Bible scholar to catch the pattern in Jesus' words. Over and over and over again, he says, what? Abide, abide, abide. Ten times in this brief passage of Scripture, I mean, literally here, it is as if Jesus is begging his disciples to abide in him, to stay connected to him. I mean, if you want to experience comfort and peace and confidence and daily victory over sin and the enemy, if you want to accomplish all that Jesus is calling and commissioning us to do, then listen to what he's begging us to do. Abide in him is what he was telling his disciples then and telling his disciples now. And what does that mean? And he's begging them to know him, trust him, stay with him, stay connected to him. Now, here's the question of the day, though. What does it mean and what does it look like to abide in Christ? This is the part that I really wish I would have spent a little bit more time on uh, yesterday morning. You know, if I were to answer that question, then I would just look at the simple analogy of the vine and the branches that Jesus gave us. I mean, if you look at a vine and a branch, a branch and a tree trunk, I mean, just as a branch is attached to the, the trunk of a tree in order to receive nutrients in life, then abiding in Jesus means staying attached to Jesus. If we're the branches, he's the vine. Without us as branches staying connected to the vine, guess what? We will die. We will die. But if the branch stays connected to the vine, the tree trunk, then it means that life will be produced. I love it. John Piper words it like this. He says, abiding in Christ is this. It is trusting in Jesus remaining in fellowship with Jesus, connecting to Jesus so that all that God is for us in Jesus is flowing like a life-giving sap into our lives. I mean, the number way, number one way that we would define abiding in Christ is, is believing, trusting, savoring, resting. More than anything else, it's just receiving Jesus. I mean, one meaning of abiding is knowing and trusting Jesus as Savior for life, for forgiveness. Jesus calls his disciples, if they, if they want to have comfort and anxiety in this world, the first step for any human being would be to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Without Jesus, without believing and receiving in him for the forgiveness of our sins and his work that he accomplished in our place, uh, on our behalf, then we will all always only have death. I mean, what we all deserve because of our sin is death. And yet, Jesus offers us life by taking our punishment on the cross, Jesus. Abiding in him, the first thing is staying connecting, is connecting with Jesus, trusting Jesus as Savior. But here's the point that I really want to get to. Second, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? According to Jesus here, and this is the part I really want to flesh out a little bit more, Abiding in Jesus means this, yes, trusting him as Savior, but also receiving and believing his word, believing in his words. Look at verse 7, if you abide in me, and he throws this clarifier on there, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Look at verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. A primary way, and I don't, I don't want us to miss this in all of the talk yesterday of pruning and 
and what John 15 was trying to say, the primary way that God speaks today and that we abide in him and abide in his word is through the Bible. It is through scriptures. I mean, one of my favorite examples of God speaking is, uh, is in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 1 Samuel. You know, I love the imagery that we see. Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, is a book about God speaking, really. And just in case you're not uh, an Old Testament scholar or you don't have photographic memories, let me give you a whirlwind tour of what I'm talking about in 1 Samuel. Samuel, the character Samuel in the Bible, uh, who, oh, by the way, his name means, ironically, heard of God, was uh, a little boy that was dedicated to God by his mother Hannah as a part of a vow she made before he was born. Hannah was barren and couldn't have children and literally, quite literally, as we read through Scripture, begged God for a child. Uh, begged and pleaded with God so much so that even Eli the priest thought that maybe Hannah was drunk. And God honored her request and allowed her to have Samuel, and she dedicated him to God and to the ministry. And so when Samuel was four years old, he was brought to the tabernacle to learn and to serve under the priest Eli. Eli had sons, but they were wicked, and they were unfit for ministry. But Samuel, Samuel, God blessed. It says in Scripture that he continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and, and with men. And, and the story that I remember and the story that I love so much and I want to talk about today is this. In chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, and Samuel has this interesting encounter with God. I mean, he's sleeping in the temple of the Lord in close proximity to where Eli's room and quarters were. And it says in the early morning hours, he is stirred by what? He is stirred by the voice of God. I mean, listen to this account here. 1 Samuel 3, verses 4 through 10. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, Here am I. There's an exclamation mark on that. It's like he yells. In the middle of the morning, the Lord calls to Samuel and, and yells, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me for me. But he said, Eli says to him, I didn't call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called for me. But Eli said, I didn't call for you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called for me. And it was then that Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, here's what you'll say. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And the Lord came, listen to this, the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. It's an unbelievable story. It's amazing. I mean, this is in a period of time that we're already told at the beginning of this, this passage of Scripture that the Lord, receiving a word from the Lord, even for the prophets, was rare and that there was no frequent visions. It says that Samuel was a person who didn't know the Lord and, and had not had the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Yet here... In the middle of the wee hours of the morning, he hears the Lord speak, but what happens? He doesn't recognize it, and he does what we all would do. I mean, if I'm sleeping and early in the morning I hear a voice calling my name, I'm going to assume, first of all, that it's probably not the Lord speaking to me. That's that's probably, if we're being fair, what we would all think. 
He thinks it's Eli in the next room. And so he goes to Eli after the Lord calls calls to him and speaks to him, and he says, Eli, what do you need? Eli doesn't understand what's going on, and, and twice they do this. Eli says, hey, look, I didn't call you. You must be hearing things. Go back to sleep. It wasn't until the third time that it dawns on Eli what's happening here, the priest. And he gives instructions to Samuel to go back and listen to the for the word of the Lord and respond to the word of the Lord. And I love it. It says the Lord comes this time and stands near Samuel and shouts his name. And let me tell you something. While this happened in the Old Testament, and it's an unbelievable story, I love Samuel because that sounds still so familiar today. God still speaks today. And the problem is, I think many people don't think so. I think there are so many people, so many Christians who would say, I wish, I wish I could hear the voice of the Lord. And the truth is that they don't hear his voice not because he's silent. I think so often and almost every single time, the reason why they don't hear his voice is because they don't recognize his voice. God absolutely speaks today. And we can abide in his word today. We can stay connected to Jesus in his word, I mean, I love it. J.D. Greer and Heath Thomas remind us in their commentaries, uh, in their commentary of ways that God speaks today. He does it in so many ways. I mean, he speaks literally through the Spirit of God. I mean, here in this passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel, we see that God audibly spoke to Samuel, and he, he did to others as well. See, in Scripture, what does it say? God tells us, and Jesus warns his disciples in John chapter 16 that he would speak send his own spirit would come and what would the spirit do the spirit would teach them he told them in john 16 12 through 13 that the spirit would teach them the spirit would guide them into truth he reminds them in john 14 that the that the spirit would guide them into truth and that truth is jesus the spirit of god would reveal jesus he reminds us jesus does that the holy spirit would continue to teach and bring to them all remembrance that god had said through his word god speaks using the Spirit of God in conjunction with His Word. He uses His people, the church. God speaks through His people. I mean, Paul reminds the church at Colossae in, in Colossians 3, 16-17, he says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I mean, what an unbelievable blessing we have of one another in the church. And one of the blessings that we have with one another in the church is the way that we get to encourage one another by speaking the word of God to one another. It's an unbelievable thing that you have people abandoning the church today. God has given us one another to encourage one another, and one of the ways that we encourage one another is to simply just teach each other the truth of God's Word through the Bible and His Scripture. God uses so many different ways to reveal Himself. He reveals Himself according to Romans 1 in His creation. I mean, He tells us that in Romans 1, 19, that what... what uh, that his eternal power and his divine nature has been clearly seen in his creation. God used his son. I mean, Hebrews, this mysterious author of Hebrews, tells us that long ago God spoke to the fathers by prophets, and at different times and in different ways, but in these last days he spoke to us by his son. He revealed himself to us in the son Christ Jesus who came sharing the truth of who he was. Primarily, though, here's what we learn, is that Scripture is God's primary way of communicating to us. And it helps us understand and confirm God's 
voice. I mean, listen to Jesus again in John 8, 31. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. I mean, that word abide there is not complicated. It just simply means remain. And that doesn't mean that we have to have the Bible literally with us and in front of us 24 hours a day. It would make it hard to function. It doesn't mean that in order for me to abide in Jesus and abide in his word is that I would have to have the Bible with me while I'm showering and going to work and mowing the yard and sleeping. It means this, though. It means to abide in his word, to abide in him, means not giving up on the word. It means not disconnecting from the word. Abiding in his word means that I know the truth of Scripture so much and value the truth of Scripture so much that there is no other earthly wisdom that that would take priority over it. Abiding in the word means seeing it and treasuring it as more beautiful than any other thing. It means finding comfort and peace in the word more than comfort in anything else in this word. It means waking up every day and finding daily nourishment in the word, finding life in the word. Letting the word feed us, fuel us, sustain us. It means having a hunger and a thirst for the word over and over daily and consistently. It means that the word, we would abide in it. We would remain in it. We would be nourished in it like branches to the vine that God would nourish us, that Christ would nourish us through his word and and strengthen our faith that the word would be our daily bread. The Bible refers to daily bread. I would think Jesus would have uttered those words and he would have remembered God's people in the Exodus, traveling through the wilderness. That every day, in order for them to survive in the wilderness, what did they have to do? They had to unzip their tents there in the wilderness. And the only way that they could eat and survive is that God literally and daily rained bread, physical bread, from heaven. And they were only allowed to collect so much for one day. They survived from the daily bread that God provided every day. And here Jesus tells us that this is how we abide. We abide in the word as our daily bread. Jesus tells his disciples this. The key to comfort, the key to power, the key to to, uh, overcoming fear and anxiety is what? Staying with him, staying connected. And the best way for them to do this was to stay connected to his word. I mean, the truth is, fear and anxiety, like we've already said, are measures of a lack of faith. They are indicators of a lack of trust in God. And the further we remove ourselves from his word, the more our voices drown, the the voices of the world drown out our hearing and focus to the point where we start to believe worldly lies. And what the word does for us is it constantly reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of his truth. His promises, and not only his promises, but it reminds us of his faithfulness to those promises. I mean, the word grows and nourishes and fuels our faith. Romans 10, 17, Paul says, Faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. The practical warning for us is to look around and say, maybe it's not so much that God's not speaking. He has given us his, his voice. He's given us his word so that we can abide in him and stay connected to him. Heard somebody much smarter than me one time say, if you want to hear God speak audibly, get your Bibles and read it out loud. <clears throat> you know, there's so many things that hinder us from hearing his voice today and abiding in his word. Sometimes just unfamiliarity and distance. I mean, I think about Samuel. The reason why Samuel wouldn't respond to 
the voice of the Lord was he had ne- he couldn't recognize it. You know, when I was a kid, I give you this illustration. When I was a kid, my best friend was a guy named James Harned. We met in the sixth grade in Louisville, Kentucky. And James was my best friend. Uh, we talked every day. We played ball. Uh, we played video games. We watched sports together. And the thing is, is that James and I were so close that when he would call, I didn't have to ask who he was. And if he called me on the phone, I, I didn't have to wonder who it was. I recognized his voice because we had spent so much time together. You know, as, as things happen, though, as, as people get older, and, and when I moved away, James and I quit talking every day. And there was a time uh, years later where we connected, and, and uh, I, I heard from James on the phone. It was the same guy. Same person, but when he called later in life after the distance of not spending time together and having our relationship become distant, guess what? When James called, I didn't know who it was. I had to ask, who is this? And I didn't know what was going on in his life. I didn't recognize his voice. And it was because of distance. I think there's so many times where God's speaking, but we don't hear it. It's unfamiliar. It's because of distance. Distance because of what? Oftentimes, sin, because of the presence of sin in our life. Let me tell you what sin will do. Sin will keep you from the Word of God. And the Word of God, oh, by the way, will keep you from sin. I think sometimes we don't hear the Word of God because we don't expect to. Sometimes we just read the Word of God out of obligation. We read the Word of God because our pastor makes us feel guilty. We read the Word of God because it's just what you're supposed to do in church or in our Bible study or our family devotion. And yet, we come to the Word of God and it's all just... Uh, accumulating mental knowledge without an expectation of hearing God speak. Let me end with this. What if you do? What do you do if you find today that you're not plugged in, you're not connected, you're not abiding in Christ, you're not abiding in His Word? Here's what I would say very simply. Maybe just today, repent of that. Look at those things that are stopping you, standing in the way, hindering you. And I would say just quite practically, come up with a, a plan I love it. David Mathis, the author, he says this, I've found it revolutionary over the years to recognize and own my daily time alone with God and treat it as an opportunity to treat myself. He says, God offers to us to hear his voice, and it's not a call to austerity, but an invitation to what? Meet with God. Isaiah 55 one says, come. It's an invitation. Everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. Set a plan. I don't think anything in life is going to happen if we don't have a good plan. I love it. David Matthew says this. Uh, consider time. Mark, mark it out. Set it aside. Come up with a specific time that you are going to spend time in God's Word. If it's the morning, if that's when your mind's fresher and you're more alert, then he says plan on that. Set an alarm to get up, even before. Maybe get to bed 30 minutes early. The decisions we make at the end of the day will affect the beginning of the next day. So maybe get to bed a little early and expect that you're going to get up. You're going to spend time with God. He says, find a place. Find a place that's quiet. He says, find a place that's inviting. Find a place where you can get away from busyness and get away from activity. Find a place where your phone isn't or the TV isn't where maybe the children aren't running around. Make it inviting. Find a place that's nice. Maybe it's your back porch. Maybe it's uh, in your room with some candles lit. Maybe for some people it's the quietness of the cab of your truck. I don't know, but find a place. 
plan on a time, plan on a space. Do other things. Make sure there's good smells. I love smells. My favorite smells in all the world are new car, um, uh, fresh rain, fresh cut grass. Maybe find a place and, and, and set some candles out. Maybe your favorite smell is fresh baked cookies. I don't know what it is, but it, it plants good good thoughts in your head. Find some uh, con- conducive sounds, David Mathis says. You know, for me, um, I either want absolute quietness when I am in God's Word, or, of all things, I want instrumental soft jazz. Uh, it, it sets my mind somehow more focused on God's Word. Here's what I would say. I want to encourage you today for so many reasons, uh, as Jesus would tell us, to abide in Him, to abide in His Word, to dive into Scripture. It'll bless you. And do it over and over and over again and develop that habit. And they always say, I I think um, the they tell us that it takes at least 23 to 30 days to develop a habit. Dive into God's Word. Make a plan. I promise you, you will not regret it. God's Word will light up your path, as Psalm 19 says. It will illuminate our path. It'll direct our way. It'll nourish our souls. It'll keep us from falling for every lie of the enemy that we see in our lives. It'll keep us protected and encouraged and fueled our faith against the attacks of the enemy. I mean, there's so much going on in our world today to create confusion, to create anxiety, to create fear, whether it's inflation or coming recession or political corruption or wars or murder or violence or abortion, whatever it is, I promise you today that that there is rest to be found in Jesus. Stay connected. Remain. I promise you'll be blessed. Maybe you go back and you read John 15. It's an awesome time uh, in the Word. Incredible encouragements from our Savior. Hope this blesses you today. And I uh, hope you'll join us next time. Bye.